Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Corporation 2021 Third Quarter Results Conference Call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Cameron Goldade, Vice President of Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you, Christina, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to PEMINA's conference call and webcast to review highlights from the third quarter of 2021. On the call with me today, we have Mick Dilger, President and Chief Executive Officer, Scott Burroughs, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Janet Laduca, Senior Vice President, External Affairs and Chief Legal and Sustainability Officer, Jared Sprout, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for Facilities, Harry Anderson, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for Pipelines, and Stu Taylor, Senior Vice President, Marketing and New Ventures and Corporate Development Officer. I'd like to remind you that some of the comments made today may be forward-looking in nature and are based on PEMINA's current expectations, estimates, judgments, and projections. Forward-looking statements we may express or imply today are subject to risks and uncertainties which could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. Further, some of the information provided refers to non-GAAP measures. To learn more about these forward-looking statements and non-GAAP measures, Please see the company's management discussion and analysis dated November 4, 2021 for the period ended September 30, 2021, which is available online at PEMINA.com and on both CDAR and EDGAR. With that, I'll now turn things over to Mick. Hey, thanks, Cam. Good morning, everyone. I'm very pleased with the strong results we delivered in the third quarter, reflecting continued robust pricing across all commodities in PEMINA's value chain, including crude, condensate, natural gas, and natural gas liquids. The current commodity environment is supportive of our outlook for 2021 and in 2022, including an opportunity for PEMINA to maintain an above-average contribution from our marketing business next year. As well, strong pricing has positive implications for volumes on our existing assets and the longer-term prospect for business, including our backlog of currently deferred and potential new growth projects totaling more than $5 billion with attractive returns. Since the onset of the pandemic, producers have maintained discipline with a focus on productivity improvements, debt reduction, cash generation, and returning capital to shareholders. We remain of the view that the robust commodity pricing environment, driven by the post-pandemic economic outlook, rising energy demand the site with a tight supply curve, set the stage for supply growth into 2022 and beyond. With services across the hydrocarbon value chain, PEMINA is poised to benefit from the growing sector activity. Coupled with strong financial performance in the third quarter, PEMINA achieved another important strategic milestone with the announcement of our target to reduce the company's greenhouse gas emissions intensity by 30% by 2030 relative to 2019 baseline emissions. The GHG reduction target will help guide business decisions and improve overall emissions intensity performance while increasing PEMINA's long-term value and ensuring Canadian energy is developed and delivered responsibly. To meet the target, PEMINA will focus initially on operational opportunities, greater use of renewable and lower emission energies, and investments in a lower carbon economy. In addition to the GHG target, PEMINA expects to make further ESG progress with the announcement of an equity, inclusion, and diversity target by the end of 2021. As we noted in the release of our materials yesterday, there have been a few other exciting developments recently, recently which support our growing enthusiasm. First, we are encouraged to see a significant announcement from Dow Chemical highlighting plans to build a new world-scale polypropylene, polyethylene cracker in Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta. We estimate over 100,000 barrels per day of new ethane feedstock supply could be required for this project which should have positive implications for third-party service providers as new infrastructure will be required for ethane extraction and transportation. Second, we are seeing positive tailwinds on the Alliance pipeline. 
A recent open seasons for short-term capacity was nearly three times oversubscribed, resulting in Alliance being essentially fully contracted uh, through 2022, and the current outlook also supports contracting of capacity beyond 2022. We look forward to providing further updates by the end of the year. Finally, the completion of Line 3 replacement project represents a major milestone for the industry and meaningful advances in Western Canadian oil egress. In conjunction with the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion currently under construction, we expect the Western Canadian sedimentary basin will soon have up to 750,000 barrels per day of excess takeaway capacity, providing ample opportunity for supply growth meaningfully to fill the gap, with the potential for related benefits to accrue to Pemina also over the long term. I'll now pass this call over to Scott to discuss the financial highlights for the third quarter. Thanks, Mick. Overall, Pemina reported strong quarterly results due to new assets placed into service and the rising commodity price environment. We reported adjusted EBITDA of $850 million for the third quarter, 7% higher than the same period last year. The primary driver of the period-over-period increase in adjusted EBITDA was a $75 million higher contribution from our marketing business, which continues to benefit from higher margins on NGL and crude oil sales and the positive impact of higher marketed NGL volumes. Marketed NGL volumes increased as sales have returned to pre-pandemic levels compared to the third quarter of 2020 when Pemina built up storage positions due to lower commodity prices. As we saw in Q1 and Q2 of this year, the benefit of higher prices and volumes was partially offset by realized losses on commodity-related derivatives as part of our systematic hedging program. Excluding the impact of the realized losses on commodity-related derivatives, third quarter adjusted EBITDA increased $127 million over the same period in the prior year, highlighting the potential of the business at current commodity prices. The quarter also benefited from new assets placed into service throughout 2020 and 2021 in our facilities division, including the Prince Rupert Terminal, Empress Infrastructure, Duvernay 3, and Hype Developments. As well, we benefited from higher volumes at Verison Midstream's Dawson assets and on the Peace Pipeline system. Offsetting these positive factors with the impact of a lower U.S. dollar exchange rate, a lower contribution from Ruby Pipeline due to lower contracted volumes, lower revenue from Koshin Pipeline due to the impact of a timing difference in the recognition of deferred revenue, and higher general and administrative expense due to the higher long-term incentive expenses as a result of a change in Pemina's share price. Third quarter earnings of $588 million were 82% higher than the same period in the prior year. In addition to the factors impacting adjusted EBITDA, earnings were positively impacted by the receipt of the $350 million acquisition termination payment net of the related tax impact, a higher unrealized gain related to certain gas processing fees tied to eco natural gas prices, and unrealized gain on commodity-related derivatives compared to a loss in the prior period. These positive factors were offset by higher net finance costs, higher transformation and transaction costs, and lower share of profit from Ruby Pipeline. For clarity, I want to note that while the tax expense of $76 million related to the acquisition termination payment was accrued in the third quarter, the cash payment of the tax bill is expected to occur in the fourth quarter of 2021. Total volumes of 3.4 million barrels per day for the third quarter were very similar to the same period in the prior year. In pipelines, lower contracted volumes on Ruby Pipeline due to contract expirations lower interruptible volumes on eggs due to third-party outages, and lower volumes on Vantage Pipeline were partially offset by higher volumes on Peace Pipeline and Alliance Pipeline. In facilities, volumes were lower due to lower volumes at the Saturn Complex due to higher deferred revenue volumes recognized in the same period in the prior year, and lower supply volumes on the East NGL system as volumes are now being processed at the Empress NGL Extraction Facility. Volumes were also lower due to take-or-pay relief provided to Redwater Complex customers following a third-party outage. Late in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter, we experienced outages on our systems as a result of a fire at a third-party fractionation facility, as well as an unexpected outage on our northern pipeline system. Both events were relatively short-lived, and Pemina's operations have safely returned to normal. Facility volumes decreases were partially offset by higher volumes at Younger due to a turnaround in the prior year, higher volumes at Verison Midstream's Dawson assets, and higher volumes associated with Duvernay 3 being placed into service in the fourth quarter of 2020. 
We are also going into the last quarter of the year in a strong financial position with proportionally consolidated uh, LTM net debt to EBITDA of 3.78 times. I'll now turn things back to Mick for some closing comments. Thanks, Scott. With strong pricing providing a steady tailwind for our business, we remain optimistic about the future as we continue to advance our ESG strategy and progress development of future growth opportunities. Finally, we remain on track to deliver full year 2021 adjusted EBITDA within our guidance range of 3.3 to 3.4 billion and look forward to providing uh, our outlook for the 2022 and the release of our guidance and capital budget uh, in early December. We would once, like, once again like to thank all of our stakeholders for their support. With that, operator will wrap things up and go to questions. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll take our first question from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, first question on the Alliance uh, recontracting. Can you add a little bit of color here? Because the Arc 7 Gen contract expires at the end of October, so you had a, a big gap there. So did you just really recontract those last two months? And then I guess, uh, you know, as a follow-up there, just given the strong demand you've seen, you know, why not look to extend uh, uh, those contracts a little bit further? Rob, I'm going to pass that over to Harry. Hey, hey, Rob, good morning. So to be clear, the contracts that there, there was a renewal um, at the end of October that for contracts that would expire in November 1st of 2022, for, so for basically the 2022-2023 gas year. So um, in, in when, when Mick was going through his opening, what we spoke about in terms of Alliance essentially being full for 2022 were the contract expiries that happened October 31st of 2020. So as we look at the 2021-2022 gas year, Alliance is essentially full. For the 2022-2023 gas year going forward, we are still in the middle of a renewal process and we expect to have further information by the end of the year. All right, that's, uh, that's helpful. And then, you know, just taking a look at your LPG export terminal, we've been tracking the shift in and out of Prince Rupert. It seems very busy there. So um, when we look at the potential expansion into Q1 of 2022, is this really just, you know, wrapping up engineering because you're at a high utilization? And then secondly, you know, what about, you know, moving other products out of there rather than just propane? Uh, Jarrett? Good morning, Rob. Um, yeah, essentially we're just wrapping up and getting to class three estimates on, on the expansion. So doubling the capacity and moving to the medium gas uh, carriers, so essentially doubling the the cargos um, that we can move through there versus the handies right now, and we expect to make that decision in in Q1 of 2022. And, and is the uh, thinking that you have enough propane to export, so you don't need to touch duty? Um, we're looking. We're, We'll, we'll eventually look at, at butane. Right now, the focus is on 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 propane. And uh, Stu, maybe maybe I think it'd be interesting to to listeners just to talk about um, the markets we've hit and and you know the the positive feedback we've gotten on our uh, product quality. Yeah, thanks, Mick. Um, Rob, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, so we've had uh, you know we've been up and running since April. Um, really happy to report the. The logistics coordination uh, from our RFS facility, the rail loading, and, and we've moved 5,400 rail cars uh, to our to our PRT site. We've moved 3.3 million barrels of propane uh, through the facility in that in you know nine month period here essentially, and uh, you know we're really excited about uh, you know the future and the growth. We've got cargoes into Japan, South Korea. China and Mexico, and we did our commissioning cargoes into Hawaii, and so we're really happy with where the destinations have uh, um, we've been able to penetrate or, or move that into the market. Uh, one of the things that we're excited about is uh, again our operating teams. Uh, you know, we're producing a, a, a low ethane propane, and in particular, we have a very uh, exceptionally low uh, methanol content, which is rare, which is unique for us. 
We're producing what, what I'd like to refer to as um, pet chem quality propane um, at our RFS facility that allows us, uh, you know, we're getting great feedback on the quality of the product that we're loading, and we believe that opens up premium markets on a go-forward basis. Thank you for the color. I'll jump back in the queue. Go to our next question from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, maybe just on the Dow opportunity, uh, can we get your thoughts on when um, you might need to expand the egg system, perhaps Vantage, and also does it make sense to strip off some methane um, from Alliance at Fort Saskatchewan? Just want to get a better sense on how you're thinking about feeding Dow that incremental supply over time. Hey, good morning, Pat. Um, I'm going to um, just make a quick comment and turn it over to, to Jarrett. We, uh, as you know, we have uh, assets, ethane extraction assets all, all over the uh, all over the, the province. So we're, we're just sorting through uh, the, the, the portfolio and, and uh, frankly, the diversification uh, that our customers are asking for. They're not asking for just one source. They, they want diversified geographically diversified product uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, they're, they're putting billions into the ground and uh, they don't want to be beholden to one supply source. Uh, so, uh, Jarrett, maybe you can, you can add some color. Thanks. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Uh, good morning, Pat. Yeah, like Mick said, so we're just currently evaluating um, all of the pipelines that, that feed our current customers, Pat, so between eggs and Vantage and, and the peace system, et cetera and evaluating the Redwater complex on where do, we need to, where do we need to expand to provide our customers with that diversification that Mick talked about. They want to ensure that, that the C2 molecules, their feedstock, are coming from a variety of sources. So we're just kind of working through that right now. Um, with respect to Oxable, Oxable does have the contractual rights to, to straddle um, the Alliance pipeline and extract um, ethane volumes. Um, outside of our Shanahan facility um, at the end of the pipeline. And, um, you know, working with our, you know, our fantastic partners over at Enbridge, we are, we're currently evaluating that as well to um, not only, um, you know, satisfy existing demand, um, but also as part of the, the new expansion that, um, you know, potentially might be coming for the province. Okay, that's great. Thanks for that color, guys. Um, and then just maybe a quick follow-up on Alliance but more from a longer-term contracting uh, perspective. Curious to you know, get your thoughts on how you build out that asset as a conduit to the Gulf Coast. Um, is this more of a greenfield initiative, or would you have to look at M&A, um, more strategic partnerships downstream? Thanks. Yeah, Pat, it's it's very insightful uh, question. <laughs> it's like, like you're giving us tips on what to do next, but uh, uh, thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, you know, a, a bunch of this gas is making its way to to the Gulf Coast, and with a twenty plus dollar an MTF uh, product, you can you can imagine why. And, and uh, uh, Stu told our board yesterday that you know there's a better part of ten Bs a day of new export capacity being uh, developed uh, on the on the Gulf Coast, and and. Until more things happen, like our heater LNG project, uh, albeit that goes to Asia, um, uh, we, we think there's going to be a continued desire for shippers uh, on Alliance to get to, to the coast, and certainly that's uh, that's that's caught our uh, uh, attention. So uh, that that is that is under review, and I think some of the, you know, uh, Harry mainly touched on the shorter term contracting, but there's also uh, a, a very robust activity for longer term contracts uh, interest underway, and I'm 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 quite certain some of that has to do with with Gulf Gulf Coast exports. So, uh, uh, you know, it took us a few years to digest Alliance. I I think there is you know possibility uh, uh, with Alliance to um, to really put a lot of gas into that line. And to, to look downstream, uh, as, as we have for you know, where, where does the ethane go? Where does the propane go? Where does the where does the methane go? And 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 keep our vertical integration going uh, downstream. And I know Stu's team's looking at that. Great, thanks, Mick. I'll leave it there. I'll take our next question 
from Schnur Gushini with BS. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, maybe just wanted to start off kind of on the of the marketing business and, and how you're thinking about it for 2022. Um, you know, commodity prices uh, have obviously uh, changed dramatically over the last uh, three to six months. Um, frac spreads have kind of opened up as well also. Do you expect to continue uh, a hedging program, and, and it, would it be programmatic in, heat, in nature? Um, do you sort of sit there and kind of watch it and, and, and sort of see where this market is going? Just kind of trying to get your thoughts as to how you're thinking about the hedging strategy for next year. Um, you know, <laughs> the thing about hedging is it's only hedging if you if you do it, uh, you know, with uh, with regularity and, and uh, consistency. Uh, so in, in terms of trending, um, you know, we said uh, in the notes that uh, we're, we're uh, quite or very optimistic on what can happen next year in in marketing, um, and that is uh, across the board. We also said in the in the piece that that all commodities are doing well, and and I think you're seeing uh, our customer quarter releases are, I mean, jaw dropping and. Uh, Possibly even better in the fourth quarter, and uh, and so uh, when they're making money across all commodities, uh, uh, it certainly helps us to make money. And and the the, the differential pricing that we need to uh, have, you know, really good outcomes is in place today. So it's shaping up uh, good, uh, and uh, I think we're you know we've 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 taken some risk off the table. Uh, and we we intend to to follow our our normal process because you know you're never you're never absolutely sure what Mother Nature will do in a in a warm winter or or something unforeseen can can upset uh, the the differential pricing in a hurry because many many of our um, our arbs depend on more than one commodity as you know and so we have to be cautious so we do intend to keep following our uh, systematic uh, program of, of hedging. Great. No, that that makes perfect sense. Maybe if we can pivot to the um, CCUS um, project that you announced earlier this year that you were exploring. Um, you know, as part of the conversation or announcements at the time, you talked about you know repurposing pipeline and so forth. Um, there's been similar discussions in the U.S. and Texas and so forth, and the Conversation seems to always show that, the, or, 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 or the pushbacks rather, have been that um, CO2 pipes are very different than than other pipes. Need to be thicker steel wall and, and pressure and so forth. Um, just wondering, you know, are the pipes different that you're planning to repurpose? Is it a scenario where it's more you have the right of way and you plan to replace pipe? Just kind of wondering if you can give us a little bit more color or thoughts on how this will come to about from a capital perspective. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start out and then uh, kick it over to Stu. Uh, there, there's there's a, there's a, a couple things. Number one, um, we're looking at a combination. So in certain circumstances, we have a right-of-way, but to your point, we don't have the right pipe. Let's say we have an oil pipe and a right-of-way. That's not going to have the pressure capability that we need to move CO2. And so... Uh, that's a situation where we could pull uh, a line or a high pressure uh, pipe within the pipe that that's under uh, uh, review with uh, the regulator uh, our ability to do that uh, in places we do have high pressure gas pipeline um, you know we, we've done the work and uh, we think those pipelines can be retrofitted they need some work they need crack arresters put in um, but the, the big difference between Alberta and Texas is it's damn cold up in Alberta. And uh, it's cold, uh, and the ground temperature remains very cold. And so uh, that is a fundamental uh, tailwind we have. And most of the time we're complaining about it. This might be the one time that it's actually a, a positive, and, and uh, it, keeps, it keeps that CO2 in uh, check, maybe Stu, uh, you could elaborate a, a little bit where we are on on the, the the process there, and also what our critical path is uh, to 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 take that uh, that project off the the drawing board and to to make it real. Sure. 
So, I, I, you know, again, I think, um, you know, we have a vision, and, and as dis described, uh, you know, we believe there is an advantage to, to our um, gathering systems that we have, and you know, you've highlighted, is it right-of-ways or is it pipelines? Um, we also believe as a pipeline operator that, you know, we have expertise. Uh, we move, um, you know, high-pressure pipelines and, and products. Uh, we do appreciate the difference that CO2 is, and we're working exceptionally closely with uh, industry experts. Um, as Mick described, I think you're going to see as we come forward that we will be uh, building new, some new pipe. We will be drive, you know, putting liners in other pipes and, and retrofitting uh, some of our pipes, all in an attempt to, be, uh, you know, to provide a CO2 solution um, at the lowest possible cost. We recognize, uh, you know, we, we will be working with uh, others, collaborating on how to do that, where the emissions are going to come from. And so we're, we're working hard. Um, we are part of the government of Alberta's process on, on the uh, carbon sequestration rights that, uh, that the government is working through. Um, we're working, uh, you know, with, with the government, with our partners, extensively with our partner on how to proceed. And we're excited about the progress. Um, you know, we've got experts helping us along the way. And so, as the government's described, we're hoping in early 2022 that the sequestration permit process will be uh, through and, and the government will be making some decisions on, on who will uh, um, have the rights to sequester products in Alberta. Um, we believe we have a strong, a strong solution, an industry solution to capture a lot of the emissions in Alberta and, and working with customers and the government to, to progress that, that path and that process. No, no, that makes perfect sense. Really appreciate the, the technical answer there. Um, thank you very much, and uh, have a great weekend. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 support your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You as well. Thank you. And we'll go to our next question from Robert Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm just start with how you're characterizing the nature of the discussions you're having you know, with producers. As you noted, they're holding, or they're, they're maintaining a lot of discipline for now, but just what's the pace, or how's the pace of, of inquiries for new capacity and new projects been? And, and do you see a tilt in their thinking with commodity prices, just trying to drill into existing capacity to take advantage of high prices quickly, or, or is there, uh, a growing willingness that you're seeing to make a long-term uh, infrastructure commitment. Um, Robert, uh, you know you you would you would uh, you would know uh, that 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 answer uh, as well or almost as well as as we do. I mean, there there's there's so much excitement in the sector and and so much cash and dividends and share buybacks and. You know, even even when the the producers are allocating a ton of money to to you know both of those activities, uh, you know, I, I looked at through some tables the other day, and the average net debt in at the end of 2022 for the the Canadian uh, junior in intermediate sector and the U.S. sector uh, is actually negative. On average, people across the sector are not going to have debt; they're going to have cash in the bank. Uh, the only people that are going to have remaining net debt are are the seniors uh, in in Canada, and they're they're all meet, meeting their targets. I read Sinovus's release, and so the 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 question remains at these prices, you know, uh, uh, and with the with the economics of oil and gas well drilling. I mean, the the 
the, the silver lining uh, through the horrible pandemic is, man, people people learned how to do stuff with low at low cost, and so the economics of of wells uh, of activities have have never been better. The question to me then is 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 when, and uh, you know there's there's lots of talk still out of COP26 and everything that that uh, that is a headwind. Um, but uh, most producers don't have any reliance whatsoever on capital markets anymore. I mean, they, they're completely uh, internally funded. They don't need bank debt. They, they got cash in the bank. And uh, my prediction is, uh, this is one man's prediction, is when they can, you know, uh, drill, drill gas, drill oil uh, with very fast payouts uh, and with hedgeable commodities that they're going to start to take ground, uh, particularly uh, drill to fill situations. So if a producer uh, has capacity in their gas plant or we have capacity in our plant or they're paying for service that they're not fully utilizing, um, uh, as we said in the call, uh, you know, we've got uh, we got line three, so there's, there's no mystery about egress anymore that was all a headwind. So I think that uh, that uh, the, the things that can be done in relatively uh, with relatively fast payouts will drive production up. Uh, what remains to be seen are are there going to be new SAG D trains and, and things like that uh, happening, or is is the industry just going to uh, slowly scale up to to its egress capacity? Even if it did that with Shell coming on in some time and and line three there with uh, surplus capacity uh, and uh, Trans Mountain coming, the industry has has more running room with with the best economics I've ever seen, and they they look like they're they're going to get better, uh, not worse. I think OPEC is is showing uh, a lot of discipline, uh, and even there, uh, you know, we, we know that there's hiccups from some of the smaller countries not being able to meet their their quotas. And um, demand's returning. People are getting back on on airplanes. So um, I think uh, things are looking very, very good from a cash generation perspective. And we have lots of inbound interest. And uh, I think it's not if, it's it's when. But uh, to your point, uh, and, and the reason for your question is, uh, this is more discipline than we've ever seen. Like, I'm, I'm a bit surprised. Uh, volumes uh, and capital budgets haven't ramped up more significantly uh it's it's just an incredible time and the industry is uh, making a ton of money and they're shedding i think reliance on on capital markets uh in, entirely and um there may be good reason for that i know that's a long answer and that's good color um if i can just turn to marketing and a couple of questions here you had a statement that you expect marketing to be above average in 2022, and I'm just wondering, I guess, with the changes in your business and the like, and over what time period, what are you seeing as average? The second part, uh, last quarter on the hedging program, you disclosed that pricing on the hedges you added for 22 were, were in the range or even a little above the prevailing spot frac spreads um, in the first half of the year. I'm just wondering if you can give an update on pricing for the hedges you've added subsequent to the quarter. Um, Scott, you wanted to, that's always a delicate question. Maybe Scott, you could take that one. Yeah, yeah, Rob, we, we added the, the 25% hedges kind of throughout Q2. So those would have been at roughly prevailing prices as it relates to Q2. Um, obviously since Q2, we've seen a continued increase in rally in, in the prices. So those 25% that we initially put in in Q2 would be uh, slightly out of the money today. Uh, nothing material, I'd say, you know, 15, call it $15 million roughly out of the money. And then the 12% that we added w was, you know, within the, the past several weeks here. So relatively close to uh, where the, the spot pricing is for 2022. Got it. And then just on the overall above average commentary on marketing, like how are you calculating what's average for you? <coughs> Um, I, I'll give you a, a, a course answer. Like uh, 2020 was like a P10 year, 
So, you know, uh, on uh, in, in any given 10-year stretch, uh, you know, in, in the bottom 10%. <clears throat> this year, given the, the strong second half and, and the way the year, towards the year-end look uh, will be, you know, a, a P, like an average year. And next year uh, will be, um, you know, a, a very good year. So I would say, uh, you never know, Robert, so like forward-looking information, you know, um, but it, it it could be a P seventy five year or 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 better, but uh, uh, we'll 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 wait to see. Remember, it's not just one commodity; it's differential pricing that really um, is is key in 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 how we make money, and it's really difficult to predict one one commodity uh, versus another. But if things were to, not to change from today's pricing, we'd we'd have a very good year. Robert, I would just also add that that obviously in early December we'll be we'll be putting out our capital budget and our 2022 guidance, and at that time I think we'll be able to provide you a little more color to help you with that with that answer. Fair enough, and maybe just to follow on that, I know it's it's partly marketing, partly maybe facilities, but just any commentary as to what frac tightness, NGL kind of mix sloppiness. Uh, given the planes outage and what that means both near term and into 22. Uh, Jerry, you want to talk about you know where we sit, uh, w w you know how how busy you think uh, Red, uh, Redwater and the General Edmonton frac complex uh, is, and um, maybe that can help uh, Robert out. Yeah, Robert. Good morning. Yeah, the the frac frac complex obviously it, it did get backed up a little bit with with some of the challenges that. Uh, um, happened there in the you know late uh, September, um, but yeah, overall, even on a run rate basis, the frac complexes in Fort Saskatchewan they are they're highly utilized right now. Um, everyone, including ourselves, we're seeing um, stronger physical gas volumes. Um, you know, some of our customers have shifted their their portfolios a little bit to maybe not as heavily condensate weighted and a little bit more into that. That um, you know, very liquids rich, but still a lot of gas coming there, which is driving a lot of NGLs down through the value chain, and uh, they're all showing up in in Fort Saskatchewan. So, um, highly utilized. Um, you know, uh, thankfully everything's um, you know rocking and rolling with the assets, and we're we're seeing a lot of um, high processing rates. So it's it's going well, and it's it's looking really good for um, you know when you talked about, or there, maybe there's a question earlier about. Where are the customers asking for incremental services? There are certain segments of the entire value chain where there are bottlenecks, and and that would be one where, obviously, Pemina, you know, looking at RFS3, um, you know, going to you know the D up there and and going to full C2 plus like Redwater, RFS2, et cetera. Those are those are the types of things we're looking at right now um, to help accommodate the customers increasing NGLs. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Go to our next question from Andrew Koski with Credit Suisse. Thank you. Good morning. I, I guess the question is for Mick, and it's really when you look at your footprint that you've got, and you think about green hydrocarbons attracting premium pricing. You know, to what extent do you start allocating capital to effectively provide your customers a turnkey service? on a value chain basis for capturing carbon, moving carbon, and then eventually shipping out, you know, green hydrocarbons at premium prices. How do you think that fits into the Pemina store that you've got? Well, I think you're seeing uh, real examples here. I mean, uh, the, the Cedar LNG project, for example, is using um, green power. And uh, so it's, it'll probably be the, the greenest LNG in the in the world. I can't imagine how it would be uh, better than that. So that's obviously going to be a coveted coveted uh, product. Um, you know, we are we are not participating in the generation of renewable power, but we're acquiring renewable power from uh, long-term renewable power. Uh, we've announced a deal. We we see uh, the prospects for doing more of that to to help drop. Uh, our uh, emissions intensity and, and uh, if possible, our overall emissions, uh, uh, particularly if we don't keep growing. So that's uh, well underway. Um, we are looking at 
on a on a on a micro on a pilot basis, sequestering all the carbon at Redwater. That's our largest single uh, point emission source, and we have suitable geology and and uh, we we can be customers of of the Alberta Carbon Grid uh, and existing pipe there ourselves. We're looking at uh, similar kind of micro sequestration um, uh, opportunities in in some of our uh, larger point emission sources in in the field where we have that the, the combination of uh, the right geology uh, and where we're using gas. Uh, you turn to Verison midstream. Uh, most people don't know this, but but that's a that's all uh, hydroelectric power there too. So so we've got a BCF a day of uh, of gross capacity there that's all run on on green power. So. Um, you know we're we're well down that that road, and so we compare pretty well uh, on a benchmark basis, and we're going to take keep taking ground. And then uh, you know the, we're trying to uh, those are the things that we're doing to uh, put Pembina on the on the right footing and in the right direction. And uh, but we're not stopping there. We're we're actually trying to provide an industry solution as you as you describe uh, the. The, one of the most important things, though, for the industry solution is that we uh, and our partner, TransCanada, is the largest uh, pipeline owners in province. Uh, you know, we've got most of our pipe in the province, as does uh, TransCanada in terms of NGTL, uh, both open access uh, uh, service providers that, that we're going to combine and we have combined our efforts uh, to provide a, a grid, an open access grid like Pemina does in, in oil and NGL and TransCanada does on NGTL and, and use our surplus pipe and our uh, stew set, our capability. But we need we need the uh, the pore space, the sequestration rights to um, be able to offer those services uh, to to customers. So we, we look forward to doing that. We aspire to do that. Uh, but um, you know the obviously the w- where you put that stuff is is really important to that e- equation. But we'd we'd love to to have that in the Pembina store, and, and um, we're we're going to be users of that store ourselves. That's a very helpful color and context, and I guess maybe just a, a follow on, and it relates to you know on the sequestration side of it, you know. Do you think the pricing regime in Canada is enough and the pricing regime on carbon is enough to really stimulate capital? Or do you need like a 45Q equivalent in Canada to really drive more capital into that into that industry? Um, Janet, do you want to take a crack at that and I'll add my thoughts after? Oh, One moment keep... while we... One and it looks like we have lost them for just a moment. Okay. Okay, I'll I'll uh, I'll take that. Um, the I think it um, I think the, the 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 carbon grid um, and uh, the uh, the, se- the sequestration the transportation um, can work at today's carbon pricing. I think the capture. Um, the capture is the, the most capital-intensive uh, part, and and that's where the the levels of government need to kick in is really uh, to help producers, the the emitters, capture uh, their emitters. It's all uh, well understood technology. Uh, technology Pembina knows and has uh, experience with, um, but it's it's capital-intensive, and so we do need. Um, we do need assistance from the government with uh, uh, investment tax credits or, or fast write-off tax pools or just uh, outright incentives to to get that started uh, and, and and then then we will be good um, I think the, uh, the the projected um, carbon tax in, in Canada is is way way beyond uh, what we see in the U.S. and in in I think almost anywhere in the world. And uh, so uh, you know clearly uh, were that to come come to pass, uh, carbon capture uh, could be economic. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. One 
we'll take our next question from Robert Catellier with CIBC Capital Markets. Hey, good morning. You've uh, actually answered the majority of my questions, so just a couple of small ones here. Uh, I noticed there was a discussion in MDNA about uh, using uh, rail transportation to position some propane at uh, Corona. Uh, I'm wondering what you see in the fundamentals there to uh, support that uh, decision. And uh, the second part is, do you see that as a, just a tactic based on the current market, or is that more of a long-term strategy? Um, Stu, maybe you uh, and Jarrett want to tag team on that. Yeah, I'll start, and then Jared can jump in. So, Rob, uh, thanks for the question. Um, you know, this is not uncommon for us. We actually uh, have been uh, using our current asset. Uh, we've railed uh, products in. Um, you know, we do like we like the Sarnia market. We like the seasonality of the Sarnia market. Uh, we're coming into to a valuable time. So, yeah, the economics do justify uh, you know the, the cost to rail um, our product at this point in time, and it's it's nothing new for us. We've done it on a regular basis. So, Derek, no, nothing further. Okay, and then uh, just with the uh, the, the third-party outage and the uh, take-or-pay fee relief uh, related to that, do you have any line of sight as to when that uh, that might mitigate and you get back to normal operations there? Uh, Jared, maybe you can take the operating uh, part, and Scott, if you want to chime in on uh, any financial things you want to talk about there. Yeah, Robert, everything's back to to 100%. Operating on our side, um, and it's been—I don't know—like we'd probably have to get you answer, but it's been a couple of weeks now that everything's been back to normal. Yeah, Rob, we don't expect any material impact to our Q4 results. Okay, thanks, everyone. And we'll take our next question from Matt Taylor with Tudor Pickering Holt. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking my questions here. Um, I just wanted to go back to Alliance. If you could provide some commentary on how rates on the renewed contracts compared to the historical rates, just as we saw the spread for ACO to Chicago was quite tight there for a while until the past quarter or two. So any comments on that? And then I know there's been a lot of bearishness in the market about Alliance and, and how the 3X oversubscribed open season is, is um, changing your outlook for that pipe longer term. Um, I'm, I'm just going to um, uh, make one comment and then turn it to Harry. Our, our longer-term outlook on that pipe has never changed, even when we had this, you know, a 60-cent differential. Uh, you know, it, it's go it's going to move around, but our our uh, and I know our partner Inbridge, uh, our view has always been that's that's the 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 best pipe from Canada going into into the United States, and and our outlook's always been. Uh, very, very uh, uh, positive about that pipe. Harry? Yeah, thanks, Mick, and good morning, Matt. Um, I'll just follow in behind Mick on the longer-term outlook. Mick's right. The structural advantages that Alliance has enjoyed over its 20 years, um, we firmly stand behind, and as Stu and Mick have talked about, we're seeing some additional structural advantages come into play for Alliance around um, the LNG exports off the East Coast and also out of the U.S. Gulf Coast, combined with um, what we're seeing is still a, a movement towards switching from coal-fired to gas-fired and nuclear to gas-fired as well. So long-term, the, the, the structural advantages that Alliance enjoyed are still there, and we're actually seeing them to get be a bit more robust. From a pricing perspective, um, I'll talk about in terms of the 2021-2022 gas year. So the volumes that we, we found up there were on average, about 130% in excess of the current toll. Um, for the 2022-2023 and longer gas year and, and beyond that, we're currently in a process with the, working with the shippers up there. So there's not much I can say, but we're expecting to have an update before the end of the year. That's great. Yeah, thanks for that, Harry um, and Nick. And then I have one on coaching as well, um, probably first for Scott. Is that deferred revenue issue material and, and is that just a one-off and then um, previously you guys have been talking about adding potentially adding more capacity and, and Nick is, is you've outlined bullishness on volume CR conversations uh, heating up there that that capacity could be imminent as well new capacity that is 
I'll, I'll take the first part of that question and then turn it back to Harry. Matt, no, the, the, overall, uh, the overall result was not material and a lot of it just relates to the timing of, of makeup rights and other things on our, on our system. So uh, it, you know, it, was, it was less than $10 million to the quarter. Uh, with that, maybe I'll put, pass it over to Harry. Um, yeah, in, in terms of um, increasing the capacity of Ocean, discussions are ongoing. You know, obviously, the, the condensate market in Alberta is, is very robust, and um, I think we feel positively about the direction Alliance is going, both, or sorry, Ocean is going, um, both from a, a volume and a price perspective. Great, thanks for that. And then last one for Mick. Um, can you elaborate a bit more on... on there's some comments out there in the press about you com uh, seeing the benefit of combining some of the, the CCS projects out there and some of the pushback we've been hearing is, you know, why pay a, party, a third party a premium for that service, you know, and or some of those other competing projects might be a bit more refined in scope. So would you mind just you know, just touching on some of those those key rebuttals and, and what your what your vision is for a broader system in Alberta? Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's confusing how um, someone could say they would need to pay a premium given that that uh, our pipes are, you know, uh, that we're proposing to to utilize are fully depreciated, and we're only trying to make a return on incremental investment, which we've we've said to the market we expect to be about 50 cents on the dollar compared to new whereas other proponents need to build brand new pipes. So uh, I, I can't really uh, ascertain the, the root of that, that comment. But um, listen, if, if, if someone uh, can do it uh, less costly on their own, uh, clearly they're, they're going to do it. And, and I guess we'll, 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 we'll wait and see. Great. Thanks for that. Go to our next question from... Linda Ezergalis with TD Securities. Thank you. Uh, recognizing we'll get um, more information in December, and I look forward to that. I'm wondering if you could help us understand in the meantime a little bit about, you know, uh, where there might be some operating leverage that you could benefit from in your system in 2022, um, volumetrically. Um, any updates you could provide on key sensitivities, whether it be commodity prices, FX, or, or anything else would be helpful. And then from a model perspective as well, um, how might we think of inflation puts versus takes on the revenue side versus the cost side uh, in terms of any sort of uh, commercial uh, protections in place and whether that might, inflation might actually prove to be a net uh, tailwind for your next year. Yeah, I'll take a, a, a couple of those. Um, so starting with inflation, um, you know, uh, when we think about scarcity of, of uh, goods and services, um, you know, the number one thing is we, we've got to take good care of our employees because uh, a lot of the scarcity we're reading about has to do with employees. And so we're, we're, uh, we're very focused on, on that. Um, and then, you know, the next thing, regardless of cost, is, is making sure you have all the spare parts you need because as we're all learning in our personal lives, uh, it's hard to get stuff right now. So we've looked at having, you know, critical spares and spare parts and in inventory uh, across our, our systems. Uh, in terms of uh, the, the monetary part of inflation, um, uh, number one, I think about three quarters of our uh, operating costs uh, are passed through. Um, we're obviously very uh, cognizant that that uh, you know it, those costs matter to our customers, and so we're doing everything we can to, to drive efficiency. And we've we've literally put tens of millions of dollars of efficiencies into our business since uh, uh, 2020, and that remains a, an ongoing focus of of ourselves uh, and and our board. Uh, lastly, um, you know, we observe that often uh, inflation uh, does correlate relatively well to uh, commodity prices. And, and so to the extent we're left with uh, remaining uh, residual inflation, we, we think there's a good hedge. At least that's what's happening now. I would say our, our ability to make money from our marketing business is going to far outstrip uh, inflation uh, that we see uh, on the financing side, obviously, inflation can lead to interest rates and 
and uh, you know we're we're, we're really well uh, hedged in terms of long-term interest rates. Maybe Scott wants to add something uh, to that. And then lastly, you uh, or second last, uh, I'll open it up probably to Scott next. But uh, where do we have leverage? We have leverage. Uh, in Veris and Midstream, we have quite a bit of capacity there. We have uh, um, we have uh, uh, leverage, obviously, on uh, Koshin. We have some very low-cost expansions there. We have a low-cost expansion on Alliance um, that we've talked about in the past. Uh, you never know. We have significant leverage uh, across our conventional uh, pipeline business. Uh, you know, we we are still operating in that business around uh, three quarters to eighty percent full, and so um, you know, tremendous torque on on adding barrels there. Uh, so you know, the, the places were more full, as Jarrett said, is on uh, our frac business and some of our other uh, gas gas processing businesses. So, uh, Linda, we we can run quite a quite a, a while. Uh, within our footprint, but uh, and and that sounds great and it is great, but it also is dependent on where it comes on the system. You know, uh, like we're building phase nine because the the product is coming on at a part of our system. You know, way on at the end where we don't have um, uh, quite enough capacity. So sometimes you still have to deploy a bit of capital depending on where that that product uh, comes on. So. Um, I'll open it up to my colleagues here to, to add some color. Linda, I would just add about about 90 to 91 percent of our of our debt is on fixed rate. So we do have somewhere in the neighborhood of 900 million that's exposed to to floating rates. Uh, that you know we're looking at uh, what to do with that here in the short term. We also have uh, short-term rate exposure at, at Barris and Midstream as well, but we've hedged 50% of that uh, away. And as it relates to sensitivities, if you just bear with us one more month, we'll obviously uh, lay out all of our sensitivities in conjunction with our 2022 budget. So that will form that will form part of that press release. Thank you. And on a separate note, um, some headlines recently that your Oregon LNG pipeline uh, approval was to get a new FERC review, um, recognizing it's not a high priority initiative now. Um, just wondering what the thinking is there and, you know, might um, others in the industry maybe find more value in, in, in that uh, initiative or, or uh, what, what, what are the moving parts? Uh, uh, Janet, are you are you able to speak to, to that? Yeah, you know, I, this is Janet, and um, thanks for the question. You know, I think um, as we've announced previously, we we paused the Jordan Cove development at this point, um, and while we haven't made any decisions, we're continuing to to work with FERC, including on the the um, uh, the appeal. Um, so I think we'll have to continue to evaluate. We do see that there's value um, to this asset in, in some way, shape, or form. So I think more to come on that. Thank you. And maybe as a broader uh, question with respect to uh, maximizing value, um, how might um, acquisitions and divestitures um, be leveraged uh, where um, outright trading of assets might optimize uh, bigger, lower-cost solutions for industry versus uh, partnering like we're doing with the Alberta Carbon Grid. You know, Linda, we, we're that, that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, ultimately, assets ought to end up in in the hands of the owners who can uh, utilize them the best. So, you know, swapping assets is is a, a terrific uh, solution if. If they're respectively worth more to the other uh, party, and so we're, you know, we're we're looking at things like that. We're looking at um, the uh, the ability to to cycle capital maybe a little more than we than we used to, and um, so anything's possible. And we we come into 2022. We'll we'll talk more about that again in December. But you know, extremely extremely well positioned generating. A ton of cash with a low payout ratio, very, very low uh, levels of debt, and 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 a, a machine that has 
a lot more upside than than downside. So we're we're feeling really robust about what's possible uh, coming into next year. Thanks for answering my questions. Here's Linda. And we'll take our next question from Ben Tam with BMO. Hi, thanks. Good morning. Wanted to, to ask a question on M&A and curious about the activity you're seeing, your, your appetite. Are there more willing sellers out there given improvement in, in asset values and are there other geographies that you're looking now that you haven't looked before? I mean, love more high-level comments on M&A. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we we tend to like to to grow with connected assets or or assets that are virtually connected through through contracts. So, uh, what I mean by the latter comment is we're not physically connected to Prince Rupert, but we have long-term rail deals that that make it so. So we we consider those still connected and vertically integrated. Uh, and the reason we like to grow uh, with connected assets is because as we as we offer services in the field to customers um, through the value chain, there's always some part of the value chain that is um, has fair capacity. Like in my response to Linda, um, you know, if if we got a, a huge new NGL contract because you know Dow Dow needed ethane uh, or C, and 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 let's say it's C2 plus, we built a field facility that would be new capital. But it could flow on our pipe uh, without capital, and so the the contribution to our pipe would go right to the bottom line. Maybe we need to build a new frac, but we have extra storage. We have surplus rail for the the C3 plus, and we're pipeline connected to eggs, so no capital there. So you could see in that collage some activities need new capital and some don't, and the ones that don't uh, add exceptional profitability, some of which we can share with customers and uh, so we can make uh, you know nice profits and customers can have uh, better netbacks and so that's the reason we, we we seek that connectivity now if we if we had a you know a storage terminal in in Europe uh, it's hard to imagine how you know one plus one equals three there so we we tend to shy away from from that and um, we've also learned that uh, you know building from a position of strength, um, and and assets and and customers, uh, we know Pat's question about, you know, what's possible downstream of Alliance. Well, w you know, we're down in Chicago. We have major assets there, so we, we we have familiarity with that business. So that would be a good example of places where where we could look, where we where we have knowledge and experience and, and advantage. And so that's really uh, has and will continue to, to guide what we do next. Okay, and then uh, my second last question on Ruby, the the post contract financial contribution is that is that tracking in line with your expectations, your initial expectations and budget? Um, I don't. I'm not sure I understand the question, but I'm going to turn it over to Harry. Maybe he understood and he can answer it. Yeah, generally yes, and Cam can get into the specifics. Yeah, Ben, I think, um, you know, obviously the, the producer contracts rolled off at the end of July. Uh, so Q3 was a, a pretty decent uh, run rate for Ruby going forward. We've, you know, there's been some short-term deals there that uh, have, have backfilled some of the volumes on a short-term basis, but, uh, you know, not, not meaningful contributors to revenue just given the, the current spread. But uh, I would say that where we're at, you know, uh, balance of Q3 and into Q4 is Sort of going to be the run rate for Ruby. I'm so That's so aligning with. Oh. And that concludes today's question and answer session. I'll turn the call back over to Mick for any additional or closing remarks. Well, thanks everyone for your questions. Um, we we do have to jump to. We have a employee town hall. Uh, um, Lots of interest, I can tell. We rarely take the, the full hour, so thanks for your interest. Um, you know, uh, we've got we've got a lot of tailwinds right now. 
um, existing assets are, are king and our customers are healthier than I've ever seen them and, and sky's the limit for them and, and hopefully that will uh, turn into volumes uh, soon and, and drive our activity uh, forward. Looking forward to um, providing our updated 21 um, uh, uh, insights in December and uh, further uh, look into 2022 at the same time. So uh, with that, thank you very much and have a great weekend. Goodbye. This concludes today's call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.